0: Welcome to Try Harder Is Not A Strategy, the podcast by Recruiting Toolbox, where we learn about and share what works and what doesn't in the world of talent acquisition. Here's your host, John Vlastelika.
1: Hi, this is John Vlastelika and I have uh, Rupesh with me. Rupesh, how are you? I'm good, John. Good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. Hey, tell us a little bit about your background.
0: As a quick intro, my name is Rupesh Panchasra. I'm the global VP for all executive level hiring at SAP. I'm based in London, so that's my home. But I I balance my time between London and uh, our headquarters in Germany when I'm not traveling to various locations. Um, Primary focus here is the executive recruiting. So we have teams at SAP that, that focus on our early talent hiring, our professional hiring, and then we have a dedicated team that focuses on all of our executive level hiring. So I have, recruiting, uh, I have recruiters and recruiting leaders in, in various locations. A bit of background, I, I moved internally about 15 years ago. And prior to that, I was in search for about 10 years. So I've been doing this for, for quite some time. Um, when I moved internally, I, I led teams at uh, companies like VMware, VMware at Expedia Inc. And then more recently, I was at Workday uh, running some of the talent teams there before joining SAP. Excellent. You have a fantastic
1: background. Thank you. You know, it's interesting. A lot of folks based in the UK started off in executive search. Uh, and that's 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 been your background. You started in executive search, you moved into corporate, and now you're back in executive search, mm-hmm. but at the corporate level.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's just the UK folks and whether that's something we're, we're built to do, but... Um, but, yeah, I think uh, people have made that transition over the years. I made it slightly earlier than than many, but I've seen a lot of my friends and colleagues that had worked on search and had sort of developed in their careers and earned their stripes on, on the search world, making the move internally. I did that a good few decades ago where companies really started investing in their internal recruiting functions. But the, the search piece really came a lot later. But I'm seeing a lot of, lot of that transition happening in recent years.
1: Tell me, I want to talk about two big topics with you, and okay. one of them is around just corporate executive recruiting. And I know that you've, you've uh, you know, hired for executives really throughout your career, but that's your primary focus at SAP now. And mm-hmm. then I want to talk a little bit about uh, non-US recruiting, specifically European and Asia-Pacific, because you've, you've led teams, built teams there, and worked mm-hmm. with a lot of different hiring managers there. If you were to give us some insights around corporate executive recruiting, what would be the things that you think are kind of evolving as as companies think about maybe building in-house corporate executive recruiting functions or as you look past the past 10 or 15 years? Yeah. What are things that are changing in, in corporate executive recruiting?
0: Good question, John. So let's take a few steps back and I, I'll try and keep this very short. If you, if you think about how... And you will know this from the experiences that you had working internally. Organizations over the last, I would say, 15 years, 15 to 20 years is, w- is where you really s- saw the investment in organizations trying to build out their internal recruiting functions, not necessarily on the exec side, but their recruiting functions. The primary goal was then about uh, about money. You know, How can we save some of the money that we're spending on search companies and, and contingent recruiting companies it would have been? and to bring some of that even if it's a small percentage of it bring it internally and let's create a business rather than a transaction so how you know recruiting was done is you open a position up you post the position for you know a lot of the non-exec hiring and then you fill the position it was very transactional so using external suppliers to do that works you know you go you find the right people you give them a good brief they'll find you candidates and you'll fill the role right but i think what organizations just like with any other function right how do we evolve how do we become adults and how do we you know build a business and so look at the evolution right you're now you've gone from that transaction open post fill to building talent communities doing doing events building pipelines crafting internal sourcing functions doing assessments uh, doing onboarding programs well you know that's come a hell of a long way from open post and fill right and and in the in a similar vein but obviously didn't happen at the genesis of building internal recruiting teams was the exact piece and and still now you look at a lot of organizations some of the you know large enterprise companies that have a pretty healthy machine running their graduate hiring and their professional hiring but to this day many of them still go to external search partners for the vast majority of their exec hiring if they're not filled by their internal succession and their existing All of executives, then the default is to go externally. And why is that,
1: Rupesh? Why why are people still uh, 15, 20 years later going to executive search firms? Why isn't that capability
0: built out better in-house? Because, you know, our business still works on those old-fashioned values. You develop a reputation within exec recruiting. Your reputation is based on the depth and the breadth of your Rolodex. Right. It's who do I know? And that's how search works. And that's why we go externally. And that's why many other companies do because, of course, we look for passive candidates across our business, whether it's at lower levels, professional levels. But you know, if you look at the, the percentage of those executives that we're hiring and many others are hiring, if they don't come internally, they're, in, they're not looking for work. They're in great jobs. They're getting paid a handsome amount of money. They could be on high potential programs and many of them have so much stock they can't afford to leave. Hmm, right. right? And, and unless you have a relationship with such people, it's very difficult to create that engagement. Well, uh, you know, posting a job is not going to get their attention. And even a message from someone they've never heard of quite often isn't going to get their attention. So, so that's what I mean by sort of b- building this. And, and where companies have thought is we need to start somewhere. Right. So, you know, let's, let's build some capability and it may well be that we don't get through to everyone. It may well be that we need to use search partners for a percentage of our positions. But hey, look, you know, I can work on a position today or one of my team can work on a position today without really any intelligence or understanding of that role and that function. But I tell you what, the third time we work on that position, God, we're gonna have an incredible network of people. Right. So, um, So I think that's the evolution. It started small. And I, you know, even though many organizations have built search functions, um, it's still in its relative infancy, is my opinion.
1: Let, Let me ask you a question that a little bit contrasts executive and what we'd call kind of more volume or professional roles there is a cost sensitivity that exists, uh, I think mostly on the finance side. I don't know that hiring yeah. managers in particular care about cost per hire, for example, but finance will look at the the costs uh, sometimes of, of recruiting functions. And occasionally, our HR bosses will ask us to you know, reduce costs, especially if the economy is is changing mm-hmm. or if the company's going through a, a tough time there seems to be unlimited you know funding available for executive search and i know that you said you know in the beginning there was a big focus mm-hmm. to bring recruiting in house to save money do you see any kind of sensitivity around around the big fees that are spent on executive search when you talk directly to executives do they do they care about the money that's being spent
0: if any of our executives whether at sap or at previous companies didn't care about the money that the company is spending whether on recruiting or other things they're probably the wrong executives right we would sure, need sure. We, we need them all to have be be compassionate to a certain degree around the bottom line sure. you know the top line continues to grow but what's the bottom line we need to we need to focus on you know spending only where we need to spend but from a from a search perspective you know it's the trade-off right if you're going to hire a Uh, president of a region that has a revenue number of multiple millions that potentially by hiring this person um, you know the company will benefit um, by x number then you know it puts a fee even though if you look at it in a one-dimensional perspective a few hundred thousand pounds or dollars whatever it may be sounds huge but in comparison to what potentially that person could bring to the company i wouldn't say it's negligible but it's you know that that's the trade-off people make and that's why for years that's how the business is is run and that's why it's only allowed or digestible at the exec level because there's a tangible return right um if we hire the right people there's a tangible return that will far far outweigh maybe any fees that you pay And, and that's why it's always been um Allowed, if you like.
1: Right. If I want to be great at executive recruiting, and you're a fantastic recruiter, you're a fantastic recruiting leader. I think you're very, you know, naturally good at this. We worked together at Expedia years ago. Yeah. Where should I be investing if I want to be
0: better at executive well, if, if recruiting? If you want to personally get better, John, yeah. come and work for my team. Right. I mean, that, that, <laughs> right yeah. That, but you will I... <laughs> be a member of the A team. Right, but if we're right. talk, if we're talking generally, right. Um, So what's your question? Where should you be investing your time? Yeah, I
1: mean, if I want to grow my skills and be a better executive recruiter, so a lot of our our listeners are going to be, you know, maybe they do full cycle recruiting. They have a number of engineering recs or sales recs or whatever, and then occasionally, you know, an executive role opens up, sorry, uh, you know, executive role opens up, and now I need to be great at executive recruiting. When you you think about the teams you've led, you've led, you know, some pretty high-volume recruiters, Mm -hmm. some very senior tech recruiters, exec recruiters, Managers, obviously, what do I need yeah. to be better at as a as a recruiter if I want to focus on exec recruiting?
0: That's a good question. I'm going to take it a step back again and just okay. take this away from recruiting. If you think about um, any kind of internal move, you know, if you if we have a, a position open today. Whether it's for an executive or not, as a as a hiring manager, I'm always going to be faced with a very similar scenario. I'm going to have, and I'm generalising here slightly, but but more often than not, I think people will relate to this. You're going to have a a handful of internal people that, for them, this is an aspirational move. This is a step up in the organisation that's going to give them experience of maybe working within a remit that they don't fully 100% know about. And that's what progression is all about, right? I want to move up in an organization and continue to do maybe bigger roles or roles with greater responsibility in areas that I'm maybe not 100% familiar with to help with my evolution and my learning. And so compare that with being up against at interview stage with an external candidate. Sure. We're very rarely going to go externally and find someone that only has sixty percent of the skills and say, "Come, you know, come here. We'll we'll hire you. We'll invest in you because we think you may have what it takes to to grow into this role." We it's very difficult to do that because there there's no track record. Right. Whereas with the internals, we we at least understand what their performance has been like. We have feedback from various stakeholders and and, and we can make a much more calculated choice as to whether this person has. The drivers, behaviours, experiences, and ambition to to grow. So, in a similar vein, if you're, you know, if you are a recruiter and you aspire to maybe go down the exec path, no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, "Here's a role that we know you cannot do yet, but um, but you know, come and work with us and we'll invest in you." Of course, we do that. But again, generalising, you would try and find someone that can almost. Not hit the ground running, but come to our team and add something new, right. and and bring something to the team that we don't necessarily have today. And so the advice I would give, and this is what I did when I made the transition into exec, knowing that's what I wanted to do. You know, wh- what is it about the exec recruiting that you would need to have in your armory to be good at? Well, you know, you would need to know the businesses and and far more intimacy than maybe you would otherwise, because you're speaking to people again that aren't looking for work, that are very happy, that are getting paid very well, and you need to have a damn good proposition for them uh, to create some intrigue. And that's more than just reading a job description. So, hey, go out of your way. Go to courses. Go to functions. Dial into webcasts. Speak to leaders. Really get to know what's behind the job description. And that's really powerful because when you speak to an executive and – and you 're conveying something that they 're not expecting you to know that you know um, you know details about their specific organization that um, again it, it probably isn 't expected for someone that that doesn 't do exact recruiting. I think that 's really powerful well, I would well, also find a mentor and that's that 's another topic
1: I want to shift gears a little bit for the last few yeah. minutes and talk a little bit about scaling up teams in in Europe and Asia. You have a lot of fantastic experience you 've worked. All over the world, and you've you you know you're very well traveled, but you've also built recruiting teams. And one of the things that is a little bit challenging for people that are just starting to, you know, re- not just recruit from outside the US, U.S. to the U.S., but to start building teams outside the U.S. is that there's some differences. There's some significant differences. Uh, what are what are some things that that as you've kind of looked back in your your 15 years or so, uh, that you look at and say? You know, if I would have understood this about European recruitment or Asia Pac recruiting, you know, then if I knew then what I know now, I would change X. What are some things that might provide our listeners some <coughs> insights mm. about recruiting in Europe and Asia?
0: Those in the US, even those in my team uh, today, when they hate being told it's different in APJ and it's different <laughs> in mere, right? right? I mean, right. God, that's the way. And and yeah, having worked in the US, I used to see it from the other side as well, where. There's a constant almost excuse to say, well, you know, we're different. It doesn't work like that here. Sure. But there are some fundamental obvious differences that we need to appreciate because it's it's a different model in many areas. You know, it's not just the obvious cultural differences and and, and language differences, but it's broader than that. It's about motivations, right? It's about the seniority level of the people that we're speaking to. It's the drivers and um and how secular the teams are. And I'll sort of expand on a on a few things there. Sure. Um so if you take if you take just the EMEA region as an example, you have EMEA is one region, but um you know you have sectors or clusters within the EMEA region. So you may ha- companies will slice and dice them differently but, you know, you could have Northern Amir, Southern Amir, you have the Benelux region, you have the Nordics region, and then and then many others, right? Um, you have Eastern Europe and the CIS block. But then within each of these clusters, so if you look at the Nordics, you have four or five different countries. Each of them speak a different language and have different cultures associated to them. So even if you just look at it from that perspective, and you if you were to map out um, – you know, not only the languages and cultural barriers, but, you know, what motivates somebody in the Nordic region to maybe consider a position outside of the Nordic region? Or is it that they aspire to be a country leader, then go to a regional leadership role, and very difficult for them to really um, think of anything outside of that, because, because of the barriers around language and culture. I think there's so much more complexity to it than uh, maybe meets the eye. And and then you've got, it's worth mentioning, the secular team. So um, a, a good example would be, if we are working on a search assignment in, um, I'll use uh, the Netherlands as an example. You know, if we look at enterprise software companies and people that have sales leadership experience at enterprise level in the software space, um, most of them know each other.
1: Hmm.
0: And so, you know, that's another dimension to think of where maybe in the US or the UK, you can kick off a search a lot earlier and have confidential conversations with individuals, not necessarily talk about the role, but have some kind of engagement. It's a lot more difficult to do anything like that in markets that we know um, are pretty insular. A lot of them a lot of the players know each other. They rotate from one company to another, and um, and a lot of them have very strong relationships with one another. So, um, you know, the, just just the dynamics around. Yes, we can do an outreach, <clears throat> or we can do some mapping work. We can do some ID work. But, you know, when we can start picking up the phone and actually engaging with these individuals, uh, uh, tend to be a lot later in the process than maybe some of our some of our key hubs. And. Sort of added to that would be in certain markets, I'll use we've, – we've got positions in Iran and Egypt and, and parts of the Eastern Bloc at the moment. Um, you would have search firms that have been working only in that market throughout their whole existence. And you would have leaders that would only want to be represented by certain search firms as their career advisors. Right. And so it adds to a lot of the complexity around engaging with the leaders as well. So it's um, that's a whole topic in itself, but it's sure. you know it's it's a lot more complex and a lot more matrix than than many of our key hubs.
1: And it's interesting. I was doing some work in in Eastern <clears throat> Europe and in Russia, and it was really challenging for TA leaders to find certain talent, local talent in in those markets. Many of them mm. had to go outside of those markets to find you know really senior level digital marketing leaders. There just wasn't much of a base to draw from, and then you end up in you know, really interesting immigration and or relocation issues, uh, trying to get people to move from what yeah. might be perceived as you know, really good markets for their career, you want to stay near London or Amsterdam maybe, to an Eastern European country. So there, there's additional complexity in just convincing someone that this is a good career move, to move to a market where maybe the company is great, but maybe there's not a lot of career options long term in that market.
0: That's a good, you know on the employment landscape if you've worked really hard to develop yourself and in in the, your chosen profession and you are in a country or in a region that you know doesn't have a wealth of enterprise companies that you can you can prosper in then you know they're, they're quite often for many unfortunately there's probably a ceiling and either you stay in that location or that country or that region or you know you take a bit of a risk and and you venture further afield and you go to different countries or regions in order to develop your career otherwise what choice do you have right and, and again that's um that adds to the complexity when you're looking to hire in that region and quite often what we need to do is exactly what you've just said so we're looking to hire in a country and in any normal scenario you would search within that country quite often where the complexity is is we look at where Uh, the demographics are so if we're looking for a Norwegian in which countries would those from Norway likely emigrate to or where would they have over recent years because that our search is much more broader than just in Norway it it would be in multiple locations and like you say it may well be that we need to to relocate more than you would in say the UK or, or the US
1: right Hey, this has been great. Uh, last question, just general question. You know, our <coughs> podcast is called Try Harder, is Not a Strategy. And I I would love to hear as, as you think about the lessons you've learned, uh, not specific to executive recruiting or, you know, recruiting for different markets, but just in general as as Rupesh, as you've grown as a, as a recruiting leader into a very senior role at a big company, if you were giving advice to a recruitment manager who wanted to get to that director or VP level, uh, what would be some parting advice you'd have
0: for them? Uh, you've got to think big. Uh, you've got to think big because you know what? Everybody else around you in all of the functions that you're recruiting for quite often are thinking bigger than you. And, and I don't know whether it's just the recruiting animal, but you know, a, a, a lot of leaders, and I'm not talking current company necessarily, but across the board,
1: yeah.
0: um, there's a fear to go out and hire people that are better than you, that are bigger than you, that can add so much more to the business than you have today. And and that's where maybe the recruiting function has uh, has been playing catch up headcount wherever you are. It's not in abundance. Um, You know, I'm fortunate at SAP that, you know, we we put a good business case together and 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 we've got some really good executive level support. But many other people don't have that. So if you know you're very limited to the people that you're allowed to hire into your business, that you're expecting to make a huge splash man, it's, it's, it's way too late if they join and you have to then teach them the art of what we do. Right. Um, you, you need to go out there and think big. That may be that you need to spend more, but if you have one headcount or two people to hire or three, wow, I mean, if you're not hiring people that uh, are much bigger than you need today, then um, that, that's going to be costly.
1: That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Rupesh.
0: This has been great. I appreciate your time. Yeah, you too, John. Thank you very much. It was fun. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot. Okay, cheers.